0: Welcome to the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease podcast, a fortnightly podcast where I get to speak with our wonderful authors about their work and what it means to them and the wider IMD world. It's also a chance for me to learn a little, or even a lot, about metabolic medicine, especially in this episode on the Malate Aspartate Shuttle. Hello. Now, I I like to think that I know a little bit about inherited metabolic disease, and I certainly know a lot more than I did a year ago when the podcast started. But when I read the title of the paper we're discussing today, I was a little lost. Um, But given some of the recent discussion on social media about the necessity of understanding metabolic pathways, this really couldn't be more timely. So it's a real treat to welcome one of the authors of the paper on Inborn Errors of the malate-aspartate Shuttle, Melissa Brooks in her final year of her PhD at the Department of Genetics in UMC Utrecht. Uh, Melissa, thank you for speaking with me today.
1: Thank you for the invitation, James.
0: So, an easy one to begin with. What is the malate-aspartate shuttle?
1: Yeah, that's uh, an easy one. Um, (laughs) I actually think the malate-aspartate shuttle may be one of the most complicated metabolic shuttles. Given the fact that it uh, branches out to so many other pathways. But let's try to answer this question. The malate aspartate shuttle, or the MOS, is a redox shuttle and it has an important role in energy metabolism. Uh, nutrients such as glucose and fatty acids enter the cell and are eventually broken down to produce ATP in the mitochondria. These nutrients are oxidized by many different metabolic enzymes in the cytosol, which use NAD as a cofactor. And it thereby forms NADH, which is essentially an electron carrier. The electrons within NADH are eventually used for energy production in the respiratory chain to synthesize ATP in the mitochondria. So via the work of Friedkin and Leninger in the late 40s, the coupling between NADH oxidation and ATP synthesis in mitochondria was already known. And since this relation was found, you might expect that NADH could enter the mitochondria. However, the pioneering experiments of Kennedy and Leninger, in which they had isolated mitochondria from red liver, showed that uh, NADH could not enter the mitochondria. Conclusion was that there had to be another way for the reducing equivalence of NADH, or electrons, to enter the mitochondria. So, in 1962, uh, Pete Borst was the first to postulate the malate-aspartate cycle as the solution for this problem. He recently also wrote an excellent review on the historical and his personal perspective from his work on the mass. And he postulated that the reducing equivalence of NADH would transfer to another molecule in the cytosol, oxaloacetate. This thereby formed malate and consequently NAD. And malate can then pass the inner mitochondrial membrane via the malate carrier. Uh, and in the mitochondria, malate can be reoxidized by the enzyme malate dehydrogenase II. This enzyme is part of both the shuttle and the citric acid cycle uh, and the NADH that is generated in mitochondria can supply its electrons to the electron transfer chain for ATP production. So to summarize this answer to your question, the malate aspartate shuttle is a metabolic pathway that essentially transports electrons from the cytosol to mitochondria to drive respiratory chain activity. Well, at the same time, it regenerates NAD in the cytosol. And this is important for continuation of many metabolic pathways that use NAD as a cofactor.
0: Thank you. I think you've made that uh, very understandable, especially with that sort of summary for dummies like myself at the end there. And and sort of given the role of the shuttle, when you've got disorders or inborn errors affecting the mass, is there a consistent clinical phenotype that you see?
1: Uh, Yes. So the shuttle is an active part of energy metabolism. And this is reflected by uh, the tissue expression of the individual enzymes and transporters of the shuttle, which are mainly expressed in high energy demanding tissues such as the brain, heart and liver, Uh, We also see that this is reflected in the patients uh, with a deficiency in one of the MAS components. And as a consequence of the role of the shuttle in the central nervous system, patients present predominantly with neurological signs and symptoms. A common clinical phenotype observed in patients with a MAS disorder is epileptic encephalopathy. And other clinical phenotypes that have been reported include global developmental delay, microcephaly, hypotonia abnormalities in myelination, hypoplasia, and atrophy in the central nervous system. For MDH1 deficiency, for instance, we were contacted by a physician who wrote that he encountered two related patients with severe developmental delay, progressive microcephaly and epilepsy. And in context of discovering a candidate causal variant in uh, MDH1, this neurological phenotype resembled the phenotype that was observed in MDH2 deficiency, but also other uh, mouse disorders reported so far. And this suggested that these clinical consequences may represent a more general uh, mass deficiency. But of course, there are individual differences between the differential disorders and in this case, the uh, main difference was that uh, lactic acidosis was uh, reported in MDH2, but not in MDH1 deficiency. And uh, compartmentalization of the individual shuttle components in cytosol and mitochondria may also play a role in here. Furthermore, one of the mass components, citrine, is a liver-specific isoform resulting in citrine deficiency. And this disorder has a, a deviant clinical phenotype compared to the other disorders as this uh, merely results from liver problems than from uh, central nervous problems.
0: Well, I guess what this brings us to is the individual's disorders themselves. And there are five that you describe in the paper, which I think that last one you mentioned, Citrin deficiency, is possibly the most well-known, at least to me. Um, you cover these in great detail in the paper, um, and I certainly recommend that listeners go and have a look at that. But we've talked about how you might look at these collectively collectively, are there biochemical results that are going to point you towards the diagnosis of these disorders given that the clinical phenotype is not dissimilar to some other conditions that we'll see in metabolic medicine?
1: Yeah so as I mentioned that it is important that the uh, components of the moss are mainly expressed in the high energy demanding tissues such as the central nervous system and that this results in uh, neurological signs and symptoms and this should also aid the clinical recognition but this is of course not very specific also because epileptic encephalopathy is attributed to over 80 different inherited diseases in the OMIM database and over 30 in the ion base. But biochemical clues to recognize these disorders are still scarce. And uh, some examples are glycerol 3-phosphate, uh, lactate, ammonia and citrulline. And from these biochemical clues, uh, glycerol 3-phosphate uh, could point towards MDH1 deficiency, However, not many laboratories measure or report this. And lactate, although it's a rather unspecific finding, uh, has been described in MDH2, CO2 and Aralar deficiency. However, for the reported cases of Aralar deficiency, this varies between normal and mildly elevated. Furthermore, uh, increased levels of urinary malate and fumarate have been reported in MDH2. And uh, low levels of serine in uh, CO2 deficiency. And also increased ammonia and citrulline have been reported in CO2 and citrine deficiency as a result of a disturbed urea cycle.
0: And, I mean, I know the Netherlands sort of leads the way in sort of big multi-omics investigations, but with these cases, is the reality that their diagnosis being made with genomic investigations that are subsequently followed up by biochemical tests? Or are you still finding them biochemically and then going for the gene afterwards? What's been your experience with the, the cohort you've been looking at?
1: Um, I think the, the final diagnosis should always come via genomics. Uh, the biochemistry can point towards a certain direction, However, the current uh, biochemical clues, such as increased levels of lactate, are not specific enough to establish a diagnosis. And also, as I mentioned, that metabolites such as glycerol 3-phosphate are not measured or reported by every laboratory. So there also has to be more research done to find uh, more specific biomarkers for that. Uh, This is also something we're currently working on in our lab.
0: I think this reflects the shift we've seen over the last few years, whereby the the genetic tests tend to lead the biochemical tests, whereas previously it was always the other way around. Um, So obviously one of the things that we try and put some relevance on within the podcast is talking about treatments for inherited metabolic disease. Citrin deficiency, you said, is a little bit of an outlier there because of the sort of the isolation to the liver. I don't know that makes any difference to the approach and whether there are any other uh, amenable treatment options within the mass disorders in general?
1: So uh, for citrine deficiency, liver transplantation is the most effective therapy. And within the mass disorders, that is in a unique treatment regimen. Yeah, as you said, citrine is only expressed in liver. Um, But you could not do that for the other mass disorders, as their genes are much more expressed throughout different tissues of the body. But for the other mass disorders, a viable option for treatment includes a ketogenic diet, as this can bypass the glycolytic pathway and therefore uh, NADH generation from uh, glycolysis, which in case of a mass disorder cannot be transferred properly to the mitochondria. And this was shown to be effective in MDH2 and RLR deficiency. And another interesting finding for treatment came out of studying uh, GOT2 deficiency. As patients had uh, low levels of serine, the serine biosynthesis pathway was investigated, uh, and this was found to be impaired in patients. And patients with GOT2 deficiency benefited from serine supplementation uh, in improving their neurological phenotype. And in addition, pyridoxine supplementation was given to boost residual enzyme activity, and the op- overall epilepsy and neurodevelopmental status in these patients were responsive to both serine and pyridoxin supplementation.
0: I mean I sometimes get accused of dumbing down conditions and obviously that's the last thing I want to do but I think it is also important to to widen the awareness amongst non metabolists around these kind of rare disorders. And I wonder what the takeaway message from this paper would be. What do you want clinicians to remember about inborn errors of, of the malate aspartate shuttle?
1: Well, I think the main message of this paper is to make clinicians aware of deficiencies in malate aspartate shuttle. And that these disorders cause infantile epileptic encephalopathies. And most of them are amenable to treatment, so including ketogenic diet, serine supplementation, pyrodoxin supplementation. Uh, so I think that is the main message of this paper.
0: Excellent. Um, well, thank you. I certainly know more than I did when we started. I hope that those listening do too. Um, if you'd like to read the full paper, then please go to our journal webpages and search for inborn errors of the malate aspartate shuttle. And if you'd like to hear more from us, including the wonderful Dr. John Rowe discussing the role of ketogenic diets in metabolic disease, then search for JMD wherever you get your podcast. Melissa, thank you so much for your time this morning.
1: Thank you. Bye.
0: And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>